0: Hi, this is Christine, and I am here with you today to look at Genesis 21 in our devotional series. We're just over halfway through in the history and life of Abraham, and we are going to pick up here in 21 with the next phase of God's plan for him and the people connected to him. So we'll start with verse 1. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, don't be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, and then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants." Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. About this time, Abimelech came with Phicol, his army commander, to visit Abraham. God is obviously with you, helping you in everything you do, Abimelech said. Swear to me in God's name that you will never deceive me, my children, or any of my descendants. I have been loyal to you, so now swear that you will be loyal to me and this country where you are living as a foreigner. Abraham replied, Yes, I swear to it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken by force from Abraham's servants. This is the first I've heard of it, Abimelech declared. I have no idea who is responsible. You've never complained about this before. Abraham then gave some of his sheep goats, and cattle to Abimelech, and they made a treaty. But Abraham also took seven additional female lambs and set them off by themselves. Abimelech asked, Why have you set these seven apart from the others? And Abraham replied, Please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. And then he named the place Beersheba, which means well of the oath, because that was where they had sworn the oath. After making their covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech left with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned home to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he worshipped the Lord and eternal God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in Philistine country for a long time. So the story of Abraham continues to move forward, and this time it's marked by promises made or promises that were fulfilled, and we see three of them here in this passage. So number one, we have the birth of Isaac, and the birth of Isaac is the fulfillment from that covenant that was made between God and Abraham early on, and then uh, a little bit later again when, Abraham, or I mean, when God had made the promise to Sarah that she would have a child, And then um, number two, we see the remainder of the promise from God to Hagar that her son would become a father of nations. Many descendants would come from him. And finally, number three, we see this new promise. And it's the treaty between Abraham and Abimelech that Abraham can peacefully and, you know, fruitfully live in the land of the Philistines. This passage is a great series of promises. And I like the way that the promises had to be marked. You know, these, promise, these promises were important, and they were really everything to these people. There wasn't anybody there, like, typing up court legal documents and filing them in the court and, you know, saying, hey, there's going to be some, you know, law enforcement if things go awry, you know, things that we think now are civilized. Um, but for them, their word was a declaration, And these promises, they were really important and really deep so much so that their livelihood depended on the promises and not just promises from God, of course, but um, I'm talking about like the deals with the people that you lived with, um, that they that they shared the land with. And and to mark the place where it happened, we see it throughout Scripture that they did things like they they did here with marking um, that spot, uh, planting a tree, making a stack of rocks, or building an altar. This thing that was going to last, you know, this thing that would be this visual reminder uh, that that would it would become a monument to the promise or to the treaty or to the agreement. And here, like I said in this passage, this tamarisk tree was planted, which I think is a great visual for generations. And and of course, the naming of this well, this um, this well was um, you know dug by Abraham's uh, family and. Uh, The historical aspect of this is pretty cool because we read about it in the scriptures, but we also can look back now and see like in the 1970s when uh, there was excavation of the land just a couple of miles away from modern-day Beersheba. And what they found was was this fortress. They found that a fortress had been built, that there was an area where there were storehouses and homes and... um, and there was this living community that had been there. And and what was really cool was that in the center of these excavations, they found this well, this, the well of Beersheba, the same one that thousands of years before Abraham had dug, fought over and made that treaty with Abimelech over. And I think that's fascinating because it not only did it mean so much to the generations, but here we get to read about it. Um, and, and if we don't pass over things like this, we get this greater understanding of the historical aspect of the scriptures, which is just reminding us that, that this time, that these people, these problems, these events, they were real. And as much as all of that is important to us, there is um, another well in this story that we can look at. And rather than historically, I would like to take a look at this one more on a personal or supernatural level, because this other well is um, this is a miracle, and the miracle of the well for Ishmael. Um, Of course, we know now in hindsight that Ishmael did in fact become uh, his own nation, the father of many. And the passages say it was a great nation, but of course they mean many. They don't mean great or really good because um, if we look back, we can see it's pretty sketchy and pretty bad. Um, But that's not where I want to go. Actually, verse 19 is where I want to land because verse 19 is where it says that God opened Hagar's eyes. And what did she see when she opened her eyes? A oh, well. Was that well already there and Hagar just didn't see it? I highly doubt that. A mother and a child wandering in the desert with no water would only have one thing on their minds, and that is to find water. And so um, if the well was not there before, then then this is a miracle. God had, um, air quotes, dug this this well. See, God is is providing exactly what they needed. Why? Why would he make a well appear? Because he wanted to fulfill his promise. He needed to. Ishmael needs to be alive. And he also needed to remind Hagar that that he was the God of provision, the same God that she had trusted when she was cast out. We read about that in Genesis 16, the same God that she calls Elroy. The God who sees. I I don't know about you, but I've always really felt for Hagar when I've read these stories. Um I feel for her as a as a woman, as a mother, but um, more than that, even even though I can't relate to her in every way, I just feel for her because I see her, her this this slave woman in a land that is not hers. You know, she was Egyptian, and as someone I see who is just treated badly, you know, treated as a pawn. She was the underdog for sure. Um, she was used by Sarah and and even though I know I know that this was customary I know it was legal I still feel the injustice I still feel the sorrow Sarah used her when she thought her plan for a child was better than God's plan and then again you know cast out when the plan had changed for Sarah so what this account is telling us is that Hagar has no value as a human. She had she had value in that she could give birth. She she had value as a concubine or a slave, but not value as a person. I mean, I think that once she was cast out it was completely confirmed that she had absolutely no value even though she had a son even though she was able to serve now now their actions are telling us that she has no value and that just reminds me of a friend of mine who has actually been invited to the un to speak on behalf of of women a particular group of women a particular country who are fighting for the right to be recognized as human Yep, you heard that right. As of right now, there are countries in our world, in our time, who still don't recognize women as anything but property to own. It, it, they, are, they are about equal with dogs. They have no rights, no recourse, no value, except what they can do for their master. And they're expendable. And I ask, how is this possible? Like, why are we still fighting for humans to be recognized as human with basic human rights? Gosh, it's no wonder Hagar sat down and cried. Hagar, Ishmael, you, me, every human has value. I know history shows us the good people and the bad people and those we think deserve to be valued and those that we think do not. But it is God who declares that humans have value. It is God whose promises will be fulfilled through them. God alone is capable of seeing the end from the beginning You know each day in this devotional, we're we're supposed to be looking at the chapters of Genesis and we're asking of this story, what was God doing? and what is God saying to me about it? And so for me, when I ask, what is God doing in this story, I look at Hagar, and I see long suffering. I see that she represents um, the parts of our lives that feel hopeless. She represents those of us who are, Tired. And I also see God in the story, of course, as someone someone who promises and keeps their promises. He represents hope. He is hope. So that's what I see God doing in the story, giving hope to the hopeless and being the provider for our needs. And so, what does that mean to me? Well, it means that I can count on God in the same way that Hagar did. And I can relate to the hopelessness that she felt. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you felt this way, but I've suffered from being tired. And I don't mean physically tired. I mean I mean tired of trying. And I know that long suffering and lament isn't popular in our, in our culture. It's not a popular thing to talk about. It makes people feel uncomfortable expressing or lamenting. It's hard for others to step into that with you, because I society it really looks up to the people who are just clapping their hands. They are pushing through. They are praising God so hard, and you know they're not giving into their feelings. But not everyone can do that. Or at least, at least I don't know anyone who can do that all the time. And Hagar, I mean, who has, through this long-suffering, kind of given up on the promises of God, who can't see how this is ever going to pan out in a good way, she sat down and she gave up, and I'm just not going to judge her for that. I've had my fair share of giving up and checking out. So Hagar represents those days, the unjust days, the too-tired days, the sad days, And in the story, God promises and provides hope. He isn't the God who's saying, move it, move it. Come on, Hagar, prodding her along or prodding me or you along, saying, hey, you don't have any right to be sad or tired. Look at the things I've already done for you. No, he's the God who's sitting. He's sitting with Hagar. He's offering her companionship in the long-suffering He's giving her his patience, and he's giving her encouragement for the future. And I feel like this is kind of maybe one aspect of how faith is developed. You know, we have small faith. We start off with a little faith and it needs to grow, but that's not always by pushing. Perseverance doesn't always have a smile on its face. Sitting with Hagar, God is saying, you are valuable to me. You have value as a human. I created you. I value you as a person who has a purpose. I value you as an image bearer. You you could be a friend. You can be a mother. You can be a companion. Those things are full of value. And, And I know, I know that he's saying those things to me too. What is God saying about value to you today? Let's pray. Father God, Elroy, you see us, you see our suffering, and you offer us hope in that suffering. Another great promise between the creator and creation. To be valued by you, it's like this baseline, God, for how for how we should look at ourselves and everyone around us So if we don't see it, God, would you change our view? If we don't see the value of others, God, would you change our view? And if we are suffering, God, would you please provide? Thank you for who you are. We value and treasure you, Lord. Amen.